Dear Lord, thank you for this day. I know that you are so pleased to see all of us in your house seeking seeking after you, Lord. I just pray that as we take some time and look into into your word, Lord, and look at Ruth and Boaz again today, I pray that you would open our eyes and if we need to be um, shown something new or reminded of something that you've asked of us, Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to us and Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take control of this room and and just um, minister to our hearts today, Lord. I pray that you would speak through me. Um, just remove myself from this teaching and just let it all be from you, Lord. Um, again, I thank you for this time, and I give it to you, Lord, and I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I'm going to scoot back because I can't see those people right there. Okay. All right. So, we are in the final chapter of Ruth. We've made it through the first three chapters, and she's come a long way. Starting out, she was just the Moabitist, um, a foreigner, a barren widow, um, lesser than Boaz's maidservants. And she went from that to being invited to dine at the table she was provided for more abundantly than she could imagine. Um, Her character spoke louder than her lineage. Um, Her determination, her work ethic, it spoke louder than who she was before. Um, And last week, Ruth took the advice of her mother-in-law, Naomi. And um, Naomi told her to go to the threshing floor, to put off her widow's clothes, put on her best clothes, and she sought Boaz as her kinsman redeemer. And as Jen described last week, Last week, it was a bit of an awkward situation for her. She was told to go in the middle of the night. It was dark. There was other things happening at other haystacks. And um, so she was in an awkward situation in the dark of night, and she was told not to interrupt him while he was eating and drinking. And then when he fell asleep, she was to lift his covers over his feet, like let his feet get some air and lay down and wait for him to wake up. That would be awkward. But these were the instructions that she was given, and she said, I will do everything you said. So she did. And um, she was willing to take that risk because the God of Israel, her God now, because she said, this God will be my God. He hadn't failed her yet. He provided everything she needed. Um, The law of the kinsman redeemer, I just thought I'd tell you, it's located in Leviticus 25. Verses 23 through 34. You don't have to turn there, but if you're interested in reading up on it, that's where it is. And that law was about redeeming the land of a deceased, of the deceased, a relative who, or a relative who'd fallen into poverty and couldn't keep it themselves. Um, therefore, keeping the, the land in the family, which was really important to the Israelites. And found in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, is the law that governed a Levirate marriage, which pertained to kin marrying widows, um, therefore preserving the name of the deceased. Um, So Ruth was going to take this risk in asking Boaz to, to be her redeemer, to do all these things. So as we ended last week's study, we, like Ruth, had to wait To sleep through the night is what Boaz said. And when I read that, I was like, ha, I'm sure she slept. No. Um, 
when I got something on my mind or have something waiting, it's a little hard to sleep. So she had to sleep through the night and wait for the next day, and he said he would talk. He would do all the talking. He'd talk to the Redeemer, that the closer relative that was mentioned. And um, so that was what she had to do. She was told to wait, and he said, I'd handle it. And But he didn't leave her empty-handed. He sent her home with about, it said in there, six ephahs of barley and a promise. <clears throat> and in the last verse of chapter 3, Naomi told Ruth, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. I can just imagine Ruth was like, I don't know what he's going to do. Oh my gosh, he's going to talk to the Redeemer. I sure hope that weird guy doesn't want to marry me. I don't know who he is. I don't know him. I don't want to marry this guy. But then Naomi's all, sit still. It's going to be okay. And while Ruth was sitting still, Boaz went to work. He's a man of his word, proving Naomi right, that he would take care of this. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 1 and 2. It says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, and sit here. So he came aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. So right here, he he was very strategic. strategic. He knew what he needed to do, and he went to the gate. And like we've learned before, the gate is kind of like the courthouse of that day and age. They built a gate around their city as protection, and everyone would meet at the gate. Anyone who needed to do business needed to go there. And he also, you see, he gathered ten men to be witnesses. He was ready to take business under. He was ready to do it. He wasn't going to wait around and think about it. He knew he needed to take action, and he gathered everything he needed. He had the witnesses. He had the kin. We'll just call him kin, kin, kin. But they don't tell us who he is. They just say so-and-so. So so-and-so and and the ten witnesses were there. And then in verse 3 it says, Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me, that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I'm next after you. And he, the other relative, said, I will redeem it. So we get this conversation between the two the two of them. And Boaz is giving him the option to do his duty. I like the way he words it. He's very um, diplomatic, very cautious, and, you know, he's strategic, you know. And if you don't redeem it, I'll do it. <laughs> and... Um, As I mentioned before, in Leviticus 25, it talks about redeeming, purchasing the land from the kin to keep it from leaving the family. Um, In the Bible study book, I remember that Kelly hinted that it was a little sneaky for Boaz to word it like this because he saved Ruth for later. He was just like, "Let, let it sound really good with not a whole lot of strings attached. And then he says... Then verse verse 5, it says, Boaz said, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also must buy it from 
Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. So here is where Boaz throws his curveball, and he's not failing to tell him the Moabitess, remember? Moabitess, just for good measure. I don't think he was trying to insult Ruth, but I think he's trying to make sure he has all the facts, you know? When I don't know if you guys ever were strategic when you were a child or a teenager and you wanted something and you knew how to word it. I know I've shared before that I was a little strategic as a child. I knew that if I talked to my dad, then talked to my mom, I'd be like, well, dad said it was fine. Or if I said, oh, you know, we're just going to just gonna go to the movies and hang out. You know, there's certain ways you can word things to where that doesn't come across like, you know, a little sketchy. I'm just saying. But, and he wasn't being sketchy. He was just strategic. He knew what he wanted, and he had to act strategically to get what he wanted. So, so he was talking about that Leverite marriage that I mentioned before. And it was the law that, in Deuteronomy 25, it's, it's about um, if, you're, if a brother who is married dies and doesn't produce an heir, then the brother of that man would marry his brother's widow and then the baby that they conceive would be actually the deceased brother's heir. And that's how that worked. And um, so we see where the other relative reacts a little. In verses 6 and 8, he says, it says, And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. Just so you know, the whole sandal thing, it's, it was their custom. Um, like nowadays, we would sign a document that waived our rights to buying the property. They would just hand over their sandal. You can do it. You can buy it. <laughs> and then you all, in this verse, in these verses, we also see like the close relative did not want to take all of that on. He thought more land. That's okay. I could probably farm some more crops, make a little more money. It'll be okay. But then I have to marry her, produce an heir, and it's not mine. All my inheritance has to be readjusted. Um, in some of the different commentaries and um, books that I was looking at, they were just, I mean, it's speculation. This guy could have been married. He didn't, maybe he didn't want to bring home wife number two. Might have caused some friction. And maybe he had, or maybe he had older children and he already had inheritances set in place. And if he had to do this and readjust everything, it would be, you know, it's, it's a lot. So, it, and he said it would ruin my own, my own inheritance. So, and we can't be too, I wrote in here that you can't be too hard on the other relative. At first he thought it would be just more land, but then he had to take on Ruth, the Moabitess, which we know they weren't very close, the Moabites and the Israelites. They were not simpatico. And so he had some concerns, you know, concerns about ruining his reputation, concerns about adding to his household. This is not what he had in mind. 
But Boaz, who is willing to redeem Ruth and everything that it entails, he gains a place in history. Because I like to, I was thinking about how this guy, they call him so-and-so. We don't know who he is. All we know is he declined to keep a good name. The only thing is, no one knows his name. But Boaz, who is willing to take on this, actually gains a place in history. His names are written in God's word. And so, to quote a song lyric from Audio Adrenaline. Anybody here know Audio Adrenaline? Good job. So, I just was thinking about this. It's to live your life, you've got to lose it. And every loser gets a crown. You get down, you lift you up, you get down, you lift you up. So, that's the song. Now you know it. Um, so, it's, that's loosely paraphrasing um, the verses that talk about, you know, humbling yourself and the Lord will lift you up. Because Boaz did this humbling thing, even though it was his desire and he wanted to do it and he wasn't ashamed to do it and it didn't feel like a risk to him, he took this risk. It could have been bad. He could have been booed out of town because it was a Moabitess. But he took this up on upon himself and inevitably ended up in the Bible. Okay. In the next verse, we hear from Boaz, and he's, he's so pumped here. I, I, when I read it, I was like, oh, he's excited. He was able to exactly accomplish exactly what he wanted to do, and I'm sure what Ruth hoped he could do. So in verse 9 through 10, it says, And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's. From the hand of Naomi, moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malin, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. He didn't sound sad or embarrassed. He was like, and Ruth, my wife. He was so excited. And that makes me excited for Anyways, who who else who here likes a good love story? Anyone like romantic comedies or anything that's like, you know, so sweet? This is so sweet. Okay. So, in those verses you see Boaz proudly proclaim that he will marry Ruth, that he will redeem her. He calls her by name, just like Jesus calls each and every one of us by name. If you would turn with me to Isaiah 43:1. I'll read that to you. It says, But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Doesn't that sound like a Valentine's card? Maybe because it was February this month, and I just thought about how that, that just sounds like a sweet, Valentine's card, but it's better because it's in God's word and that's a love letter to us. Everything he put in there, he put in there for us to teach us something, to show us something, to grow us and to show us his love. Now, would you turn over to John 10, verses 1 through 3. I'll give you a second. John 10, 1 through 3. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, 
but climbs up some other way. The same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Boaz wasn't ashamed of Ruth's history or her backstory or her heritage, just as Jesus is not ashamed of us. He wants to take us as his own, cover us with his blood, stand in the gap, if you will, and make us a part of his family. So we've been talking this whole time about how Boaz is a typology of Jesus. We've heard that mentioned in the weeks before. And in our study book, I really liked how we compared Boaz and Jesus. I wanted to just go over that here. Um, There were three criteria needed to redeem someone. You needed to be kin, and you needed to be able, and you needed to be willing. And of course, Boaz is merely the kinsman redeemer. He's redeeming her her property and, and as a wife. But Jesus does so much more than that. And I just felt really... It was really put on my heart to, to remind us what Jesus did for us and, and what he's willing to do for us and, and to not lose sight of that. Okay, so number one, as our kin, first Boaz, he was a close relative. He was related to Elimelech. Therefore, he qualified him to redeem Ruth. And Jesus became our kin. And if you look at Hebrews 2, you could just write it down. I'll read it. Hebrews 2, 10 through 15. It says, For it was fitting for him, for whom all things, and by whom all are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of this assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those through who fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. So in those verses, we hear Jesus making us his brethren, making us his children. And therefore, he's our kin. And point two is that he's able. Boaz was able to redeem. He was an upstanding citizen. He was financially well off. He was able to do these things. Jesus is also more than able if you look at or write down Hebrews 7, 24 through 25, it says, But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And number three, he's willing. Boaz is willing to and desires to redeem Ruth. And Jesus is willing to and desires to redeem us and everyone. In Mark 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life ransom for many. And when you give something, it's willingly. It's not taken from you. You're giving that. Also in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him. He found joy in doing this. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He had sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
But after he did all these things, it was joyful for him. He wanted to do this for us. And we, we're desperate for a redeemer. We're all born with the God-shaped hole, so to speak. And he, Jesus is able to fill it. He meets all the criteria. He can redeem everyone. He meets all the criteria. And he can restore us, redeem us in so much more than Ruth. And you see, she has been blessed beyond measure. And he can do so much more for us. Okay, back to Ruth chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. It says, And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathath and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which, she, which the Lord will give you from this young woman. What a great reaction from these witnesses. I was a little surprised when I read it. I was thinking, oh, he is going to marry a Moabite. And we know that Israelites and Moabites are not friends. So when I heard we were going to hear from the witnesses, I'm like, mm, this can't be good. But it really proves that character and determination and hard work can make an impact. Naomi's people truly became Ruth's people. And it says a lot to have a man such as Boaz who will stand up for you and will redeem you. He wanted to. And they spoke blessings over their union, that, that they would be as fruitful as Rachel and Leah, who bore many, 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 and they built the house of Israel the, by bearing the sons that would be the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. So that was a pretty big blessing to say, I hope you are as blessed as they are. And may your house be like the house of Perez. If you don't know the story of Perez, it's kind of an interesting one. Um, It's found in Genesis 38. It's a fun read. But to give you a short version, his mother Tamar was pregnant with twins. And when the time came for her to give birth, it was custom to tie a red thread on the first twin to come out. So the first one put out his hand, and the midwife tied the thread, and then he pulled his hand back in. And the other baby came out. And he basically snagged the firstborn birthright because he was the first one to come all the way out. And so, yeah, his brother Zara was not the firstborn, even though he got his hand out. It's a very interesting story, but nonetheless, Perez later was very happy and prosperous. So when they were blessing them to be like the house of Perez, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. And then verse 13 It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And I did have to laugh in the study. Kelly was like, the author of this book is obviously a man, because he spent like one second on this whole thing. Because it is kind of like the the bow on top of the present, the very last little, yeah. But it is kind of wrapped up in one little verse. They got married, they had a baby, and yay. But so so I like to say that in this last verse of in verse 13, we get Boaz and Ruth happily ever after all in one sentence. They did get married and they were blessed to conceive a son. And can you imagine how just astounded Ruth was? She came she left. She had already been married for 10 years and had no kids and her husband died, and she was at the rock bottom, and she was moving to a town where people hated her. But she ended up 
marrying someone who was very high up. He was a man at the gate. He was respected. He had much, and he was going to provide for her, and the Lord was doing all of this. And it was very exciting. Um, okay. So remember when Naomi told Ruth in chapter 3 to take off her old clothes and put on her best clothes? Um, when I was studying for this, I was reminded of this really wonderful thing, that with Jesus, not only do you get washed clean from your sins, which is a big deal. It's a big deal to get clean. Like, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but personally, living in sin, growing up, and, you know, the, the human nature of having sin, it can bear on you. You can have, you know, guilt and shame and just, it's not great. But when you hear about God's grace and that you can be washed clean, that's a huge deal. That's like, that's it. That's great. That's enough. But it's not all you get. And that just, like, it hit me, and I was so pumped and so excited. Like, just, isn't it great when you've been a Christian for a while, and then you just get reminded and you get excited? It's just, I think we all need that. So just bear with me. So not only do you get washed clean from your sins, but you get redemption in Christ, and it's so much more than just being washed clean. What comes with it is a love-filled relationship with our Savior Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit as our helper, every day, free refill. Just saying. When you take off and put off the old life before Christ, don't forget every day what you can put on with him. Don't forget that you are privileged to abide with him, to dwell with him, to receive from him. It's not just that you're washed clean, which is so much but that you get so much more. Don't forget. Don't forget what you have in the Lord. And lastly, there was a couple questions in our study book that really stood out to me, and I wanted to end with them. Something we can all pray about. Maybe take action if the Holy Spirit prompts you. Number one, is there someone you can give of yourselves to? And the wording that was in the book, I think, was to, can you cover with your robe? Is there someone you can cover? Or someone, it reminded me of our, our church mission, is there some disciple that you can reach out to? Boaz was willingly giving of his resources, and later his heart. Is there something you've been blessed with that would be a blessing to someone else that you could share? And it doesn't have to be money. Because I know not everyone has money to be sharing with everyone. But there's things like a listening ear or a caring heart, a peaceful place to land, or just joy. Can you find someone who needs a smile? And number two, are you willing? Are you willing to reach out? Are you willing to be a blessing or stand in the gap or cover someone who needs refuge? Share with them the Redeemer. Share with them that they can be washed clean and they can have all of that that we have in Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. The Holy Spirit will meet you and give you what you need at that time. But is there someone you can give to and are you willing? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for everything that you've blessed us with, Lord. We have so much in you, Lord. 
I pray that you'd help us to be mindful of those things and that we wouldn't allow the enemy to, to change our, our view, Lord, that we would spend time in your word and that we would spend time seeking you and in prayer and that we would just know in our heart whenever things are rough, whenever things are scary and hard, that we still have you and we still have something to give, Lord. I pray that you'd equip us and bless us, Lord. And I just thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.